All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you all the praise, glory, and honor that's due your name. And I know, Lord, when we go through trials, that um, it's even more valuable, our praise and honor and glory that's given to you, Lord. I pray for those this morning that are going through a tough spot, that are in a place of difficulty and trial and struggle. I pray that their faith would be strong, that you would encourage them and comfort them and grow them through this time. I pray this morning as we get into your word, I pray that you'd transform us by the renewing of our minds. I pray that we would grow. I pray that we'd grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, this morning, may you be glorified. May we see you high and lifted up. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, before you sit down, can you say hello to someone? Okay, you may be seated. Come on in, everybody. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and take them out and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 9. And if you need a Bible, there, uh, there are Bibles underneath the seats for you to look at. We're going to cover um, the section of Scripture starting in verse 37 through verse 50. And uh, as you're turning there, I just have a few announcements. So next week is the big week where the time changes. So take note of that. We're going to be falling back next week. And it's a good reminder if you're not on our church text communication list and you'd like to be, that's a good way that we're able to communicate uh, quickly things that are going on and reminders, prayer requests and things like that. And so uh, if you consider this your home church, I'd encourage all of you to get on our text list. You could do that by just dropping a little note in our offering box uh, back there um, right at, at the exit door and there's a little form you can just put right on there your um, cell phone number and your name and your desire to be on the text list. You can also email the church uh, if you would like to do it that way as well. But uh, a good way for us to communicate, and uh, especially as weather starts to change, praise the Lord. Um, but this is a good way to, for us to communicate the things going on in the church. So that's that. Uh, last week, we rolled out our Operation Christmas Child, and that is a way that our church fellowship is able to participate in spreading the gospel to the world, partnering with Samaritan's Purse. And the way that works is you simply grab a box or two, however many you desire. The boxes are in the, the atrium right out there. You grab a box and it has the instructions inside of the box of what to do. And basically you buy some toys to put in the box. Then you bring it back to church and the drop off for the box is in the foyer. But um, they have had just amazing testimonies. Last week we got to see a video of a man in Ukraine that is a believer in Christ because he received the shoebox that we sent when he was young, a uh, little boy. And it was neat he hearing his testimony. But um, the gospel has been spread through the shoebox ministry 
uh, to so many people, and the testimonies have just been fantastic. And so encourage you to grab a box and drop it off by November 19th. So that's Operation Christmas Child. So the next thing is some of you know that our church supports a missionary couple in Uganda, and they're going to be visiting our fellowship coming up very soon in November. So November 12th, which is a Sunday, the Aniku family will be here, and Pastor Vincent pastors Calvary Chapel, Midigo, Uganda. Uh, Amazing guy, amazing family, amazing ministry, and uh, we wanted all of you just to have a chance to hang out with them and talk to them. So we're going to have a fellowship gathering after church, and that's going to be 2 p.m. after church. So that's the Anikus, November 12th. Uh, make sure you have that on your calendar. There is a home fellowship tonight, and that is at 5.30. The address is in your bulletin. Uh, it's also um, something that you can look at online to find out about. There is uh, our WOW Women's Ministry, Women of the Word, and that's tomorrow night here in the sanctuary at 7 p.m. So that's it as far as announcements. If you can turn your attention to Luke chapter 9, verse 37, as we get into the Word this morning. Now, as we're picking up the narrative of Luke, as he's recording the information in regards to what's going on in the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, we come across this section of Scripture where we see Jesus discipling His disciples and we see how He brings them along, how He develops their understanding, how He develops their faith. And He does this in various ways. He does it through demonstration. He does it through teaching. He does it through giving them an opportunity to carry out the works of Jesus because they would be those who would pass on the work or continue the work of Jesus. And so they would be the ones that are integral in their ability to understand who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing, the ministry of Jesus. And so as we we sort of been tracking that along, uh, one theme is we find that there's uh, this continual tension of confusion about really who Jesus is. And when they come to the place where that tension is broke, and that's where Jesus asks them straight up, who do you say that I am? And Peter confesses correctly that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is God, that he is the one that the Old Testament has been predicting that would come and take the sins of the world. So now where do they go from there? When you understand who Jesus is, here's the interesting thing. They understood who he was, but they weren't quite surrendered to his plan. So they knew who he was, but they weren't surrendered to his plan. And so that's what we're seeing now. So we're seeing Jesus teach them 
His plan and what it means to carry out His plan in this world. He's teaching them what it means to be a Christian in this world. He's demonstrating to them that to be a Christian in this world means to be on a mission for a homeland that's not here on earth. So this understanding that there are really two kingdoms, the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. And when one gets saved, they become citizens of heaven. But we still are physically present in this world. So how does that all work itself out? So what Jesus does, he takes them right after the confession of Peter. He takes them on a high mountain. And he pulls back the veil of who he is. Pull, they, they pull back. He pulls back the humanity of his deity and he shows just three, Peter, James, and John. He shows them and gives them a little glimpse into the kingdom of heaven. This is what we call the transfiguration. And Peter, James, and John, they see glory. They see Jesus a little bit more clearly in his correct state. As they do that, they hear the Father from heaven speaking. The Father of he in heaven speaks and he says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, sort of giving his clarification of who Jesus was or, and is and what is going on. And Peter's reaction to this was that we should stay here forever. Let's build tabernacles. One for you, Jesus. One for Moses. One for Elijah, because they appeared as well. This gives us so much information into understanding what heaven is like and what glory is like. So Peter, James, and John, they see the glorified Jesus. They see Moses and Elijah with the glorified Jesus. Peter's reaction is, this is amazing. This is good. Let's stay here. And as we get a glimpse of that, it gives us an understanding of our mindset of how we're to live our life in this world with an above-down approach, an approach that keeps heaven in mind that keeps glory in mind, that keeps the understanding of where we're going to be for all eternity, to understand that this life is but a vapor, to understand that one day we will be before Christ face to face for all eternity glorified, to understand that our life now has been given purpose in that we are to serve God and the plan that He has for each one of us so that we may finish our race. The life here is considered a race. The life here is considered a job that we have to do. 
And for a believer, believers go to be with the Lord only when our job is finished. And that's why we go to be with the Lord. It's because we've run our race. We finish what God has called us to do. And he will meet us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, giving us an indication of how to live our life well on earth. As good and faithful servants to God as we live our life here on earth. So as you go through the Bible, you, you, you realize that the saints in the Bible, the believers in the Bible, Old Testament, and New, that they lived in, in such a way where they're living for something that would happen beyond this life. They were living for a different city. In Hebrews chapter 11, it has a whole list of all those, or, or many of those who died in faith. And it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, it says, They waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker was God. And so the reason Hebrews chapter 11 points out that these particular people were able to do the things that they did, great exploits for God, was because they knew and understood that they were living for an eternal city that was simply waiting for them the moment they finish God's plan for them in this life. In the scriptures, we see all these descriptions to where we can't love the world and God at the same time. That we're to lay up treasures in heaven and not in earth. There's a very clear-cut teaching in the Bible that there's a distinction between the earthly realm and world and the heavenly realm and world. And yet you and I, if you're a believer, we're not home, but we're here. So that's why the Bible talks about our existence as Christians on this earth as sojourners or pilgrims. These are all words of people that are going somewhere, that they're passing through somewhere. We get the understanding that we are to be ambassadors here on earth, representing our country that is to come. And so as we looked at the transfiguration, then something has to happen. They have to come down. They wanted to stay. Glory was amazing. Good was everywhere. Struggle was gone but they had to come down the mountain. And now what we're going to see is Jesus teaching them more specifically how to take their understanding of glory, of future glory, and how to live out that future glory on earth so that we can run and finish our race with joy. What he's showing them, if you want to just sum it up in one word, he's He's going to tell them that we are going to need godly power, godly power to successfully live our life here on earth as a believer. We are going to need to have God's work in us and through us. 
We're going to need something that we do not possess simply as human beings, but something, something that we possess as believers indwelt with the Holy Spirit, that we're going to need power. So watch what happens in verse 37. It says in verse 37, it says, Now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain. So that's, that's the thing that they didn't want to do. And this is the thing that maybe many of us avoid or want to avoid. It's so nice to have a fire in our house with our Bibles out and coffee or cocoa and just sit and pray and spend time with the Lord. And when we do that, if you do that, you don't want to leave because you know outside there's a lot of things that you have to deal with. I don't know if you've ever thought or cried out to the Lord, Lord, can you rapture us right now? (laughs) Just right now, take me out. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to do this. And yet the thing is that we are actually called to be down the mountain right now. We're called to be down the mountain. There are, are times when God has us get away with Him, to spend time with Him. And now the purpose of those times that we spend with Him and enjoy Him and fellowship with Him is because we have to go down the mountain. Those times on the mountain prepare us to go down the mountain. Those times of intimacy and closeness with God, they, they prepare us for what's down the mountain. And what was waiting for them down the mountain was exactly why they didn't want to go down the mountain. So notice, as they they come down from the mountain, a great multitude met them. So it seemed like they they, they barely touched foot on the the bottom of the mountain. And it says a great multitude. A whole bunch of people were there. And mind you, it was Peter, James, and John, and Jesus coming down from the mountain. The rest of the disciples were already down the mountain. But then it says, suddenly, isn't that interesting? Suddenly, isn't that often how problems and difficulties come upon us? Can't see them, blindsided, come out of nowhere, ambushed, not expecting, and all of a sudden, bam, suddenly, there came a man from the multitude. So large group of people, and out of this large group of people, one man cries out, it says, and Matthew's account says that this man was falling on his knees before Jesus. And he said, Teacher, I implore you to look on my son, for he is my only child. Notice this man is desperate. And notice this man is exercising faith. 
Notice this man is coming right to Jesus, not to his disciples. And notice this man, as he is exercising faith, is understanding that Jesus is the one that can help him. And his help that he, the help that he's looking for is not necessarily for himself, but it's for someone that is the most important person in his life. He is seeking Jesus to help the one who he loves, his only child. He is correctly, directly going to the only one that could truly help his son. And what a message for us here today is to exercise our faith in the only one that can help us in our problems. Yes, Jesus can use people. Yes, Jesus does use people. But ultimately, what Jesus is teaching us here in particular is the fact that Jesus is the one that we run to. And to be very careful of settling for human solutions and human answers, Jesus is ready, willing, and able to help us. And so he says to Jesus, Look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, here's what's happening to him. A spirit seizes him and suddenly cries out. It convulses him. Notice it's directed at what the evil spirit is doing to his son. It's wise for us to recognize the evil that's often behind the symptoms that we see of evil. That we can attack things that are going on right at the source of what's behind it. And this man is explaining to Jesus that there is an evil, unclean spirit that is intermittently coming upon his son to a point where it seizes his son and his son cries out and convulses and his son foams at the mouth and it departs from him with great difficulty. And what, what that means is that when it leaves his son, he doesn't leave in a way where he doesn't cause a lot of damage when he leaves. He ends up bruising him, it says. So this, this is a whole mess. Imagine being this man and just going on your merry way, going to the market. And all of a sudden the spirit comes upon your son and your son begins to manifest this demon in a way where the son is actually being harmed by the demon physically. 
And another account of this tells us that the demon tries to throw him in fire and water to drown him. And so this man has been living with this, with his son. This man had probably been thinking in those times where this wasn't happening, where, okay, maybe he's okay now. Maybe we're over the hump. Maybe he'll grow out of it. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this, the demon gets a hold of him and causes these problems. So in verse 40, it says, So the man saying to Jesus, I implored your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. The disciples were lacking power. The disciples were unable, with Jesus being gone, were unable to do even what Jesus called them to do. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. But yet they could not cast this demon out. So they were given power to do this. And that's very important because we are able to do whatever God gives us the ability to do, regardless of our own personal ability to do it. And this is what Jesus is teaching them. This is how he's moving his disciples into this understanding of what is going to be so important for them to live their life on earth according to the plan that God has for them. They were going to need power to do that. And the power that they would need to do what God had called them to do has been given to them and for us. So whatever you may be facing today, it may not be a young son that has a demon manifesting himself in this way. But nonetheless, you and I, in order to continue to walk with Jesus faithfully over the duration of our lives, we are going to need power not to sink into discouragement. We're going to need power not to wallow in despondency and depression. We're going to need power to overcome the slights and the hurts and the trouble that we face and people face in their marriages, with their families, with their jobs and careers and all of these things. We need power not just to endure something, but power to overcome these things. Living from above down sets us in a place where we are over our problems. 
we are more than conquerors. Because as believers, our problems, circumstances, difficulties, they do not define us or own us. But they are merely things that we have opportunities to exercise our faith and be strong in those conditions. So that in those conditions, we can continue on in the things that God has for us. The disciples didn't know this at this point. They could not cast out the demon, even though they had been given the ability to do that. Then Jesus said in verse 41, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Here, Jesus' answer is stern. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to the disciples specifically? Is he talking to Peter, James, and John specifically? Is he talking to the, the whole crowd? We don't know for sure, but I believe he's talking to the whole crowd. And as he's doing that, He's teaching also and rebuking and indicting his disciples specifically because the Bible says, he who is given much, much is required. So they are growing. They are a work in progress. And they don't quite understand the empowerment that God has given them for this particular situation and the reason is, what we find out is because of a lack of faith. So it says they were faithless. And they were, at this point, reflecting more of the culture than they were the kingdom of God, which they are now a part of. They, at this point, were taking their cues from the world from their understanding of their own personal inadequacies and insufficiencies instead of what God had said. And this is how you and I often fall into a powerless Christianity. A powerless Christianity that then ends up just living one's life exactly how one lived before they were indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Instead of recognizing now the power of the Holy Spirit working through one's life to accomplish the things that God has called us to accomplish. So faithless, it means that the generation, so he's, he's taking a wide lens of what was going on in history at that time. And the world at that time had become a world that was more involved in speculation, man-made religions, myths, um, conspiracy theories, things that can get people really excited. And, and Jesus 
is saying, and he's pointing back all the way back to the Old Testament, to the children of Israel, of how God did amazing things in and through the children and nation of Israel, and yet they departed and became faithless and degenerated into being worldly and secular. Sort of like how many of us sense and feel our country is going in a direction away from God. Whereas we have experienced maybe or seen or heard about a nation that was under God and how God did amazing things and built this amazing nation. And all the credit and glory and honor goes to God. And then as generations go by, there's this desire for something new, something more exciting. And this departure from God ends up in what he says next, a perverse generation. That word perverse simply means twisted or crooked. But I want you to see the connection. When an individual, a family, a nation, a world, when all of that moves away from faith and trusting in the Lord, it leaves a vacuum for something else to enter. It doesn't stay empty, but yet it will now attract all sorts of humanistic philosophies, false religions, to put it simply, evil. Evil will fill the vacuum of faithlessness. And when evil fills the vacuum of faithlessness, then that generation becomes evil and it becomes faithless And people conduct their lives in a way where there is no God. Even though the most obvious thing that a person can know and understand is that there is a God. The Bible doesn't necessarily directly go to great lengths to prove God's existence because it's the most obvious thing that anybody can know and understand simply by seeing creation and simply by knowing and understanding and feeling the sense of eternity and eternal things as God has written eternity on our heart. But when a nation departs from God, when a people depart from God, then you have a crooked generation. So Jesus is pointing this out. The nation had gotten so crooked that even the people of God did not recognize God when he was face to face with them. They didn't recognize and understand and equate the Old Testament scriptures, which explicitly pointed to a Messiah that would come, and not only that, but a suffering Messiah that would come. So Jesus points us out, how long shall I bear with you? So he says, bring your son here. This is the answer. Bring what's important to you. Bring your problem, your circumstance, 
your trouble, your cares, your broken hearts, bring them to Jesus. As he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. And then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the majesty of God. Now, some of you may have experienced bringing your problem to Jesus. And as you bring your problem to Jesus, you have to know Satan doesn't let go easily. It says, as the father was bringing his son to Jesus in the act of that, and just think about it, the demons know who Jesus is. And as this is happening, the demons know this is it. They know who Jesus is. They are afraid of Jesus. They know the power of Jesus. And so this demon doesn't let go easily. And he, he even violently throws this young boy down. He gets his last shot. He knows he's losing. And that is so insightful. Because many believers stop at the finish line or right before the finish line. They give up with two minutes left in the fourth quarter. And this is the time to press in. Do you see this? He may have thought, like many of us, if I just bring my problem to Jesus, it will immediately be over. If I just pray one time for my prodigal child, that is not walking with the Lord, and, and I pray, then that would be it, and that would just end it. But what we see is the Satan doesn't let go easy. And this is the time to keep pressing in. This is the time to put the pedal to the metal. This is the time to go in full throttle attack mode when the resistance is the greatest. Because Satan wants us to give up. Satan knows he lost. Satan knows it's over, but if he could get the dad to give up, if he could get the dad to just say, okay, it's not going to happen. Okay, I don't want to go through this anymore. Okay, I've prayed and I asked Jesus, but now look what's happening. He might say, it's getting worse. When Jesus came and I presented him to Jesus, it's getting worse. And sometimes getting worse is an indication that Satan is desperate. This is a time to press forward. As he is coming forward, notice with the, the demon, I, I just I can't help but think he's just a punk. He 
This little boy is, is, has been harassed and tormented. And it's all going to be over here in a minute. And, and Satan just gets his last little bit in. He throws him down and he convulses him. And that was, that was the last shot that he had. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. And notice it wasn't something that Jesus had to go through a process to do this. It wasn't something where Jesus had to do these incantations and go through some ceremony. It was just time according to Jesus' timetable for the demon to leave. Jesus and his power was greater. There's no competition. And when Jesus said the word, it was over. And notice when it was over, the child was healed. And that would imply that he was healed in every way. When Jesus heals us, he heals us in every way, in particular, spiritually. The physical healing here was just an example of the totality of Jesus' healing. It's a future glimpse of our future glory where we'll, in glory, will be completely healed, body, mind, and spirit. But notice what, what Jesus does. He gave him back to his father. You know what that is? That's restoration. That's restoration. Jesus is a God of restoration. He restores families. He restores churches, communities, nations. Jesus is the great restorer. Jesus brings reconciliation, first and foremost, to God the Father through Jesus' work on the cross. The end of this the end of this account in verse 43 was that they were all amazed at the majesty of God. This whole miracle pointed them to the power of God, to the goodness of God, and the reality that God is the answer. When it says they were amazed, that means that they were struck out of their senses. That means that when Jesus works, it's often beyond what can be understood and perceived by our five senses. It's heavenly, it's divine. It's not of us, but it, it, is, it is of God. And so the whole key to understanding what Jesus is teaching his disciples and us here today is the word faith. The power of faith. We are told when Jesus went to his hometown of Nazareth, 
that he could perform no mighty works because of their unbelief. And when societies become more and more faithless, then it's more important for the church to be faith-filled. And the reason is, is because a faith-filled church is a powerful church and an ambassador for God in a faithless and perverse generation. When God works mightily through the faith of individual members of the body of Christ, then people will be amazed. They'll be amazed at your faith. They will see and understand that you live for something greater than that which is seen and heard, smelled, touched, tasted, and felt. They will see that this world is not your home, but you're passing through to your eternal home. And you and I, as we live by faith, we will have the power to overcome the most difficult things that you and I face in this world. And although maybe we don't face the threat of being killed necessarily like some of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, nevertheless, the spiritual warfare is raging. The spiritual warfare is no joke. The power of Satan to take you down, to take me down, to take churches down is no joke and it's only by the power of God exercised through our faith in what he has called us to do that will give us the continual victory to walk according to the purposes that God has. In Matthew's account, the disciples came to Jesus later and they asked him, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus said it was because of your unbelief. And he said, he said to them, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Jesus is recognizing here that there are actually different levels of demons. And he says, this particular one is one that comes out through prayer and fasting. What does that mean exactly? Prayer is fully being fully dependent on God. When we pray, we're acknowledging how much we need God. We ask for God for help. We plead to God. We acknowledge His goodness and his glory his power and his majesty and we intercede what is fasting fasting is our complete independence from ourself so prayer is our dependence on god fasting is independence 
from ourselves and dependence on ourselves and living for ourselves. So this is where the power lies. Why did they not do that? It was because of their unbelief. Get this, we're going to finish with this. Their unbelief resulted in them being dependent on what they can do themselves to get the work of God done. They had the power in the beginning of the chapter. They actually exercised the power by faith according to what God says in the beginning of the, of the chapter as they went out. But they had become unreliant self-dependent to try to accomplish the work of God by doing things in their own strength and their own abilities. And the reflection of that was their lack of praying and lack of fasting. And so our belief in Jesus' ability to work through us powerfully will then result in our lifestyle of praying and depending on God and seeking Him and His will and His plan and His help. We will be characterized by that. A life of faith is characterized by prayer. Because prayer is communing with God, depending on God. And then, of course, fasting means we're not depending on ourselves at all. So you may not be going to Uganda to plant a church. Or like Pastor Brian in a bomb shelter in Jerusalem. But you... And I need desperately this power that we have to be working in and through our life for the things that we are facing right now so that we can finish our race with joy. So we can do what God has called us to do. So that we can persevere and persist in the midst of great discouragement, great difficulty, great hardship, we need the miraculous power of God working through us so that we will be all that God has called us to be until the day it's all over. Did you know there's going to be a day it's all over? We're not going to have to struggle anymore. We're not going to have to fight anymore. We're not going to have a broken heart anymore. We're not going to go through this tumultuous and difficult world. There's going to be a time, but not now. Not now. Now's the time to engage in the battle by putting on the full armor of God and simply exercising our absolute belief and trust in God 
that whatever our mountain is, whatever our mountain is, we must put our unconditional faith in God that He will work to move that mountain. And He will. He promised us. And so as we live our life in this world from above down, we must live according to the power of faith to get God's plan and will accomplished in us and through us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Your grace is sufficient for us, Lord. And Lord, I pray for help. Just like in Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian was in the sea of despond, help was nearby. Lord, there may be some here today that need help. There may be some here who just needed to hear what you had to say today, and today they are being called to surrender and trust. Surrender and trust. I pray for all of us here, Lord, that we would be an encouragement to one another, a blessing to one another, that we would love one another as we walk through together this journey of faith. And Lord, I pray for anybody here or anybody listening that has never put their faith in you to the point of their saving of their soul, to their salvation. I pray now, Lord, if anybody here or listening is not saved, is not sure where they would go if they were to die today, they are rolling the dice with their eternity, I pray that today would be their day of salvation, right now, that they would make their decision and cry out to you and ask you to be their Lord and Savior, that they would turn from the direction that they're going and turn to you and cry out to you and say, Lord, save me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, take over my life. Do that now. And Father, we thank you for this morning. I pray a blessing on us here, on our church body, on the families here, on our community, and our nation. We seek your face for our nation, that our nation would turn to you, that we would bring all of our cares, concerns, and problems to you, Lord, to answer Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand as we worship the Lord before we go. We're going to have our prayer team come up front. If anybody would like prayer this morning, feel free to come up as we sing this last song. If this morning you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just come forward and allow our prayer team to, to pray with you. God bless you, and I pray your week would just be filled with faith. Let's worship the Lord.